Hey everyone, thank you for joining me for episode 11 of The Green Life. Today's guest is amazing Maria Marlowe, and Maria is a woman on a mission. Maria is a holistic health coach who is focused on helping women clear their skin, fix the digestive issues, lose weight, feel and look amazing. Maria left her career in finance and became a holistic health coach, nutritionist and chef and now puts all these tools that she's learned about in a beautiful package on her new website Glow by Marlowe. Maria is also the author of The Real Food Grocery Guide and Be Healthy Everyday Planner which are two books which in my opinion really go well together to help women find control, their health, find what makes them feel better and really keep track of it but also learn how to shop and what to eat. Maria is an amazing and inspiring resource that everybody should really know about and she really brought this together because she struggled with her own skin, thinking that she would never get rid of acne after all the failures of over-the-counter drugs and doctor appointments. She realized that medicine is in our kitchens and now she really puts into practice everything she learned in a way that is fun and delicious. I cannot wait for you to get all these golden nuggets Maria can share in this episode. Welcome, Maria Marlowe. Thank you so much for joining me today for The Green Life. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I really love your journey and um, I really wanted to share what you've been doing because I love how you've really worked with so many women to change their lives, really. We know we're going to talk about skincare mostly and how to have a glowing skin, but we know that the skin is such a powerful tool for us to either feel confident or not. So you have really given a lot of women the opportunity to feel themselves again. But before we dive into the skin subject, um, tell us a little bit about you and your journey, how you got here. I think you have such a colorful and wonderful um, you know, background. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I never thought that this is what I would end up doing. But here I am, I think life gives us obstacles, which makes us stronger, and then sometimes pushes us in a new direction. And that's definitely what happened to me. So uh, when I was growing up, I lived in New York, had a standard American diet, that was completely normal to me, as were all of the health problems that come with a standard American diet. And I had a lot of them. I had digestive issues. I was overweight. I had a variety of issues, but it was primarily the acne that bothered me the most. So I developed acne when I was about 16. It lasted through college, even though I was trying everything I could to clear it up. So I started with the drugstore stuff, then moved to proactive, then moved to dermatologists, I did topical retinoids, I did antibiotics, birth control, spironolactone, you know, you go through that whole roster of different pharmaceuticals, and nothing was working. Long story short, when I was in college, and I was uh, initially actually studying fashion, then I moved into finance, but I had um, a friend who just casually mentioned to me over lunch, that my skin problems maybe were due to what I was eating. And what I was eating for lunch that day was one, maybe two slices of pizza, a little mini box of Entenmann's chocolate chip cookies and a uh, can of soda. So, so <laughs> she hit the nail on the head. Um, but you know, when, when she first said that to me, I was like, Hmm, that's interesting because I've been to several dermatologists and not one of them ever asked me what I was eating. But I was desperate at this time. So I was like, okay, let me give it a try. I adopted an anti-inflammatory diet. And, you know, the rest is history. My skin 
pretty much cleared up within about three months. I had to work on, you know, repairing my, uh, my gut health and rebalancing hormones and that thing, those sort of things. But I really did it primarily through food and my skin cleared up, which is something no pill or potion was able to do in the last like four or five years. Wow. So that is what got me on this nutrition rabbit hole. Um, but even then I, I still, I graduated with a degree in finance and went to work in the hedge fund industry. Uh, but I was still just obsessed with nutrition and all of my free time was spent going to health food stores or, uh, reading books on health and watching documentaries. And so I went down this nutrition rabbit hole and I eventually got to a point where I said, you know, nobody is teaching us this. Like when I went to the doctor, they didn't tell me anything about food. Who's, who's here to teach us about food? Like food impacts our skin so, so profoundly and nobody's talking about this. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school to study cooking and nutrition uh, and, and the rest is history. And that's amazing. I love that. And um, I do remember you had a little, you did something in fashion as well, not just studying. You were actually working in fashion. Which, which side of it was it? So I did a little bit of everything. I was originally going to school for the business of fashion, so fashion merchandising. But during that time, I got to work as a buyer in a store. I worked on fashion magazines in the editorial department and went on photo shoots. Um, I I was a stylist. Like I held so many different positions in the fashion industry. Uh, Yeah, I I was always doing something. That's amazing. And what was looking at these girls who from the outside obviously look perfect, like they have beautiful bodies, beautiful skin. I mean, we know that a lot of it is also makeup, but, and a lot of your clients are probably models who just like, actually, I want to have a better skin. But um, what, what was the impression? Because I feel like there is also the disconnect where we look in magazines and think to have that skin, you have to be, you know, brushed. You can't have it really, but actually you can what was your first impression when you were into this um into this industry and looking at these women that from the outside look perfect and mm-hmm. um and you were like oh i'm actually struggling with my skin what what was your first feeling yeah well first i'll just say that like now i work with everyone most of my clients and customers are regular you know regular amazing women uh but yes the fashion industry is completely fake and What has been interesting these past several years is it's no longer just the fashion industry and the magazines and the movies that are fake, it's social media as well, Mm -hmm. which kind of takes it to a whole new level. It's one thing for there to be some distant celebrity who has airbrushed skin on a magazine, and then it's another thing for your neighbor to have that airbrushed skin, right? And, And just seeing every single person in your feed filtered and airbrushed and uh, fillers and all of this stuff, you start to forget what it, a normal human face looks like. Mm. And so then when you do look in the mirror and you see, oh, I have pores or, oh, you know, my skin is not like glass. Uh, then you start feeling bad about yourself. But meanwhile, your skin is probably normal. I mean, your skin is normal, right? So it's just, it's really distorted our, perception or, uh, you know, what we think and know normal skin is. So that I find actually disturbing. And it's something that I try to talk about quite a bit because there is this pressure now I feel to look a certain way. Um, and I just think that 
you know, society is always trying to tell women what to do, what to look like. And it's all just a distraction, you know, where we get obsessive over our looks when there's so many more important things that we can worry about. Of course, we want to look good and feel good and feel our best like that. I'm hundred percent on board with, but I just feel the preoccupation with it is distracting us from other more important things. Yeah, I hear you. And I actually didn't think about it, but it's true. Um, I saw a few people talking about it, including you about these filters. And I must say I'm a little disconnected from it because I think um, I'm for better or worse, uh, because I'm a little bit older than most of my peers in this industry, I don't even know what a filter looks like. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah, they use that. But I've seen, actually, I've seen a lot of people having this wonderful glowing skin. I'm like, hold on. And um, it's true. It's true. And in a way, I feel like it reflects their uh, self-confidence as well, or lack of, because if you don't feel like you can show that your skin, you know, it is what it is then maybe you need to work on something else, you know, a little bit deeper. Um, so you're right. It is a bigger issue than just how we look. Um, but, uh, but in any case, the skin is important and it can make someone feel really good or really bad. So I completely empathize because um, I, I was put on a, on, on, on a, on a pill when I was 18. Um, I didn't really have acne at the time. But um, I had some normal breakouts, which were dependent on my diet and my, and my gut health. But I, I tried to stop at 23. And because I had been on that pill and because my diet didn't change, then it triggered an acne, like a bad acne, on, especially on my chin, which is obviously hormonal. And, um, you know, I went to the dermatologist and the first thing he gave me is, you know, antibiotics. And he never asked me what I was eating, never said, you know, you should stop dairy. <laughs> it's like... None of that. And, um, and it's uh, fascinating how only years later I had, the I had to go back on the pill, by the way. I, he told me you have to be on the pill. And only years later at 31, I, when I actually did the same course I, at IIN, I was like, I, can't, I cannot physically even take it anymore. Like I can't take this pill anymore. And then by that time I had learned so much and changed my diet completely. I went plant-based and everything I didn't have the acne I thought I was going to have if I stopped again. So there was a trauma, you know, the fear that one tomorrow, I'm going, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and my skin is going to be like, like polka dots. <laughs> it's going to be like, and instead it didn't happen. Um, and of course, as you said, you know, there are other things that you have to do, like balancing your hormones, but food is such a powerful tool. So how did you, when you learned about food, when you, when you learned about health coaching and nutrition and food, even you became a chef as well, what was your moment of saying, wow, wow, this is just, look at what you can do with this food. And what was the food you never used before that really impacted you? Oh, I mean, so many. I literally only ate packaged processed foods for the first two decades of my life. So if it didn't come out of a package, I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. So the, the foods that I think had the most profound impact on my health and my skin were for sure vegetables. I was not eating any fresh vegetables prior to that. So incorporating more fresh foods into my diet was uh, a game, ch game changer. Turmeric became one of my favorite spices. I used to put that on everything because it has really potent anti-inflammatory properties and acne is an inflammatory condition. Most chronic issues are 
inflammatory related or inflammation related. So reducing that chronic inflammation is really key to getting acne, other inflammatory skin conditions and other inflammatory conditions, um, you know, in check. So that was a big one. Also flaxseed. I, I discovered flaxseed crushed or milled flaxseed during this time because it's a great source of omega-3 plant-based omega-3s and, uh, and fiber as well. And I found that that also really helped my skin. So I would say those are probably the three main foods that uh, were big game changers for me. Amazing. And you, you mentioned the connection to the gut health. So I guess your gut health also needed working on when you transitioned. For sure. If someone has a skin problem, they most likely have a gut problem because the gut and the skin are very closely connected and intertwined. And in fact, now there's this term that you might have heard the gut skin axis or the gut brain skin axis. And basically, it just talks to this connection of how our gut microbiome actually affects our skin and our skin microbiome. So there is research to suggest that if there is too much bad bacteria in the gut and not enough good bacteria, or even if there is increased intestinal permeability, so all of these are signs of gut dysbiosis, this is linked to a higher risk of acne. Whereas if you can get your gut microbiome in a healthy state, um, you can start to get your skin in check because when your gut microbiome is healthy, there's less inflammation. Um, you're digesting, uh, and absorbing your nutrients better. You are, um, more regular, right. Constipation can also be, um, a cause or trigger of acne, right? So once your digestive system is flowing properly and working properly, you'll generally find that your skin improves as well. Makes a lot of sense. If you don't um, detox from your digestive tissue, then your next big thing is your skin, right? Yeah. Um, and have you noticed, and if you, with your diet, with your uh, program, that other things can also be helped, such as eczema or psoriasis? For, for sure, because these are all uh, also inflammatory conditions. Um, whenever there's redness or bumps, right, th those are signs of inflammation and generally including more anti-inflammatory foods are going to be helpful. Now, there are some differences, uh, so it's not going to be the same exact protocol, but there are some things in general for example, the anti-inflammatory diet, uh, removing the pro-inflammatory foods like dairy, which you mentioned, sugar and refined carbohydrates, those are across the board gonna be really helpful. Um, also goes back to the gut, repairing gut is really, really important as well. Um, and uh, I, I think a clear skin diet or healthy skin diet is, is also a, a healthy diet overall. So one of the benefits of adopting these habits to clear your skin is generally that other areas of your health improve as well. And that's why I always say that acne or eczema psoriasis, whatever your ailment is, it's actually a blessing in disguise because it's alerting you of that inflammation and that imbalance within. And when it's on our skin, I know it sucks because you, you know, you, it, it, you almost wish that, okay, if I have to have some condition, at least let it be internal. So nobody else has to see it, but it's, it's actually better because you see it, you want to do something about it. Mm. So you're more likely to make that change. Uh, and then also we know that acne is a sign of inflammation. 
but if you have chronic inflammation, that could also trigger other more serious issues down the line. So again, it's really a blessing because it's, it's prompting us to take charge, look at our diet, look at our lifestyle and make some changes so that we, you know, improve our health for the long run, not just our skin. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, um, so let me, let's go a little bit into your protocols. Actually, let's talk about when someone comes to you, uh, with skin conditions and they're like, okay, I really, I, I can't look at this anymore. I need to do something about it. What's your first approach? How do you go about it? And how do you, um, how do you do, you know, the, how do you take them through the food that they're having and really talk about the things that they need to eliminate because they're not beneficial for them and what they need to add in? So everyone is different and there are many different root causes of acne. So the first step really is to understand what the individual person's root causes of acne are, right? Because we could both be breaking out, but something completely different could be triggering, triggering it for both of us. So first we want to dig into the diet and lifestyle that you currently have and look for any potential triggers. So that's really step one. Then we can kind of identify, okay, these are the three, five, however many areas that we want to focus on and work on and dig a little bit deeper into. So generally, you know, after doing this for so many years, like almost a decade now, I find that there's generally six root causes of acne. So one, the primary cause is inflammation, chronic inflammation. And the two main sources of chronic inflammation in our lives are diet and stress. So, so inflammation is one, a lack of nutrients. And it may seem that in this day and age, we have such an abundance of food and access to food so readily, it seems like, oh, it's, it's impossible to be nutrient deficient. But of course, that's not the case. And there is quite a bit of data to show that people with acne tend to be more deficient in certain nutrients. So for example, vitamin A or zinc, um, vitamin D, omega-3, right? Uh, and you don't have to have all of these deficiencies. You could have just one. And, and that is what's causing the issue. And for many people, I have a lot of people who come to me and say, Maria, I already eat really healthy. So I, I don't think it's my diet. Like, what is it? But then when we look a little deeper, they're like literally missing one nutrient and adding back that one nutrient is, is what they needed to, to clear their skin. So, uh, so nutrients, figuring out any nutrient deficiencies and replenishing those, uh, repairing digestion. That is for sure a big part of any skin protocol as we make sure that we're removing any uh, food intolerances uh, that may be exacerbating gut issues. And we want to make sure that we're balancing that gut microbiome, getting plenty of good bacteria in there, getting rid of the bad bacteria, decreasing the bad bacteria, letting the good bacteria kind of keep the, the bad bacteria in check. We also want to rebalance the hormones. Um, and I think with hormonal, um, like when it comes to hormones, people don't realize how much their diet and their lifestyle impact their hormones. I think Sometimes, and I know this was me, you know, before I really learned and studied all this stuff, like if the doctor were to tell me, oh, you have a hormone imbalance, you have too many androgens, too many male hormones, I would think, oh, there's just something wrong with me, right? Like, because they're not telling me anything else. And I'm just thinking, okay, I have some imbalance, I'm broken in some way. But in fact, it was the foods that I was eating that was causing this increase in hormones. So, um, you know, there's a lot that food can do to rebalance your hormones. And for anyone listening who has PMS, 
right? Or, or breaks out around, not, not even just breaks out, but any sort of PMS symptoms, you know, that could be a sign that it's a good time to look at your diet to help bring your, your hormones into balance because things are definitely imbalanced. You don't have to break out or be in pain every single month for the rest of your life, just because you're a woman. And PMS is not part of being a woman, which is another thing I used to think that we, you know, you have to take Midol uh, every, uh, you know, every 30 days when you get your period, it's just what women do, right? Because you just get PMS, you get pain, but actually no, if you get your body in balance, your gut in balance, your hormones in balance, your nutrition up to standard, you will have your period and not feel a thing and you won't break up. Right. So it's, um, you know, looking at the, the factors of the diet and lifestyle. So that could be too much sugar that definitely wreaks havoc on our hormones, not enough fiber. That's a really common problem for a lot of people. Um, sometimes I'll see women who are just over exercising, doing so much hit and intense and running and marathons and all of this stuff. And their hormones are in disarray. And it's because you, you might actually be doing too much, right? Um, there's also plastics and pollution and, and all these endocrine disrupting chemicals. So we're uh, in contact with so many things that can uh, disrupt our, our hormones. And that's why it's important to kind of look at all aspects and see what we can do, what's in our control that we can, um, you know, help bring back into balance. Another aspect that we work on is stress. That is a huge, huge piece of the acne puzzle because stress creates inflammation. It also increases our stress hormone cortisol and excess hormones uh, like cortisol uh, tend to increase our oil production. And when we have excess oil on our skin, it tends to clog. We tend to break out. So stress is a big one. And then finally, the sixth area that I like to focus on is, uh, is skincare, because what a lot of people don't realize is sometimes the skincare they're using is not necessarily causing acne, but it's prolonging it and kind of exacerbating it. Anything that's leaving your skin red and raw and more angry looking is probably not a good idea. Even flaking off, you know, uh, I think that there is this tendency or this idea that the harsher, the better, uh, because we want to peel our skin off. We like, we just like want to get it off. Uh, there's bad bacteria on there, right? So we're just kind of scrub everything away. But actually, if you allow food and diet to do the really heavy lifting here, you just need gentle skincare. And I'm talking like very gentle soap and water, uh, you know, maybe some tea tree oil, maybe like a light moisturizer. Uh, you know, you can use different plant oils. I love jojoba oil. Uh, you know, that that's all you really need. You don't need these like peels and, and the chemicals and, and all this harsh stuff because your uh, body from the inside is going to start reducing the inflammation and uh, start balancing your hormones. So you're not producing as much oil. Uh, and, and that's what's going to clear, clear your skin ultimately. Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, actually something about bacteria. We, some, we tend to forget that our skin, just like our gut, can have good and bad bacteria. And we, with everything that people keep on using, especially with the pandemic, everyone is just using disinfectant over disinfectant over disinfectant. We are killing the good bacteria on our skin. And uh, that can definitely also be too harsh and, and then unbalances also the, the moisture in our skin, which creates other, another set of problems. So, you know, you're right. The harshest, 
we are into this society that thinks the harsher the better to clean, clean, clean. But bacteria is not necessarily dirty. It's just, it, it can be very helpful, right? Exactly. And that's a big, um, a big piece of the puzzle, which I'm glad that you brought up. You know, prior to the 1980s, it was believed that acne was caused by quote unquote bad bacteria. And since the 1980s or starting in the 1980s, research has started to show us that actually bacteria is not the problem, it's inflammation. So by 20, the early 2010s, I want to say 2012, 2013, acne was actually reclassified from an, uh, from an infection, a bacterial infection to an inflammatory condition. And now this is a really huge paradigm shift in our understanding of what's causing acne. And as a result, this should have led to a paradigm shift in how we treat acne, but it hasn't. We're still treating acne like it's 1980 using antibiotics and isotretinoin. And it turns out that this P. acnes bacteria, which has been renamed C. acnes bacteria, um, it's actually a commensal bacteria. So it's a good bacteria and it's present on even healthy skin. So people that don't have acne have this bacteria on their skin. There's also been research to show that this bacteria is not always in acne lesions. Sometimes it's there, but sometimes it's not there, which is again, showing that this is not the cause. This bacteria is not the cause of um, acne. We don't know exactly the role of it. And there's some interesting, really interesting new science out there, like on the cutting edge, that's trying to kind of figure it out. Um, but bacteria is not the trigger for acne. So I feel like bacteria is sort of the baby that got thrown out with the bathwater. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when, when antibiotics came into use in the fifties and sixties, you know, we started trying to use antibiotics for acne. And actually, the first antibiotic that they used didn't work for acne. So um, they, you know, they tried other antibiotics, and then certain classes of antibiotics started working. So they started using that. But it turns out in retrospect, antibiotics also have an anti inflammatory property. And so the reason that they may have been working is primarily their anti inflammatory benefits, not so much their antibacterial. And the paradox with antibiotics using antibiotics to treat acne is that once when you take antibiotics, they don't just target one bacteria, they work on all bacteria, including the ones in your gut, including the ones even in your vaginal microbiome, right? That's why yeast infections, for example, are common when you're on long-term antibiotics. And because of this disruption of the gut, which is long lasting, by the way, research has shown after even a short course of antibiotics, the gut microbiota is changed. Uh, several strains are completely wiped out. Uh, others, you know, can take a very, very long time to get back to normal levels. And so the paradox is when you take antibiotics to treat acne, even if they do clear it up while you're on antibiotics, when you eventually get off, many people experience that the, the uh, acne comes back and often with a vengeance because now you also have some gut troubles to, uh, to tend to. So that's why I, I feel like uh, I try to talk about this as much as I can. Um, our gut health, a healthy gut is so, 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 so important for healthy skin and taking antibiotics 
to address an inflammatory condition is not a smart idea. If acne was caused by a bacteria, I could understand why antibiotics would use. And I do understand historically why they were used, right? Because we used to think it was a bacterial infection. But now, however, we've had this information that acne is caused by inflammation for 40 years. So to continue to use antibiotics, which pose so many risks, not just to the person taking them, but really to society at large because of the growing threat of antibiotic resistant bacteria, I, I think it's, it's just, it's really bad. And I think it's wrong. Um, and I think that it's something that really needs to change and more people need to know about because if you go to the dermatologist and they prescribe you something, most people are going to take it. I mean, that's, I always used to take everything that my doctor prescribed because I just didn't think to do more research or didn't know any better. Um, but now knowing what I know, uh, and I'm not saying like, you can never take pharmaceuticals or anything like that. But I think for acne in particular, antibiotics are not the right answer. Yeah, I hear you. And I had exactly that sequence of events. Um, first approach was antibiotic, finished, came back. And then he said, you have to go on the pill. It's clearly hormonal. And instead of saying, let's fix your hormones, it's like, let's just, uh, you know, cover up your hormones. And exactly what you said, actually, I had too much androgenes. And it was due to diet. And um, yeah, it always is the same. So it's like a playbook. And I mean, I don't want to be a, a negative, you know, person about maybe doctors, the pharmaceutical companies are not changing because they're very prof profitable to give antibiotics, sadly. Um, I know they're trying to be less free, free giving about it. Like I know, you know, in the, U in the UK, at least when I lived there, uh, at the beginning, I remember anything, even a cold that would give you antibiotics, which doesn't work. And, um, and now they're much more um, careful because they did notice that they had these super bugs coming up where people like, they, they didn't respond to any antibiotics. And that was because they were giving too much antibiotics to, to, to people in the UK. So they're like, okay, we need to stop. This is not helping. But this is not just the UK. This is a global issue. And, um, and, and you're right. So why give something that we know for sure doesn't work? And then we go at the root cause. Um, but, you know, is that everybody's still looking for the silver pill when, we come, when it comes to things. And uh, this is going really down a rabbit hole because you're like, okay, if I have to fix my skin and I can't take medicine, then I have to change my diet. Well, that means that whatever they're selling in the store maybe is not good for us. And you know, what they put the food in is not good for us. What we cook our food in is not good for us. And then we're going to start really peeling back all these things. And you said, you know, even uh, having nutritional deficiencies, well, the fact that organic food uh, is not freely available everywhere, and that's the food that contains most nutrients. The rest struggle to, to give us enough for our daily uh, need or even have the nutrients because of where and how they're grown. So it really brings up such a big topic. Um, how actually talking about organics, how, how is organic for you when you talk to your clients? Um, how important is it to bring in? I think that any vegetables are better, better than no vegetables. But that said, uh, I, I definitely am a huge proponent of organic for many reasons. One being, if we're talking about hormonal imbalance and gut imbalance, 
some of these pesticides and agricultural chemicals that are sprayed on our crops are damaging to the gut and they're also endocrine disruptors. So they are not really doing our body any uh, any good, right, in, the, in that regard. It's also not great for the environment. Um, and I think that instinctively, like if we want to go in a more natural direction, then organic farming is, is for sure the way to go. You know, we are exposed to so many chemicals. Many of us live in big cities, right? So there's chemicals that we cannot avoid. They're in the air, there's air pollution. Uh, you know, when you go out to a restaurant, they're burning scented candles or they're spraying that room spray. And just we people next to you at work wearing perfume, right? There, there are chemicals and endocrine disrupting chemicals everywhere. Uh, so we don't have control over that. But when we're home, we do have control over what we choose to buy, what we choose to eat. And so I feel like any steps that we can take, that is ideal, but not to obsess about the other stuff because you'll just drive yourself crazy and you don't need to. I mean, the body is quite resilient. And I feel if you really fuel it as best as you can with good nourishing food and also nourishing thoughts, right? Reducing your stress, uh, your body will be strong enough to handle, um, you know, all this kind of outside stuff. But that said, in terms of access to organic there are a few things that I think make it a little bit more accessible. So number one, um, well, first off, if we're looking at all the different types of produce, there is a list called the dirty dozen list and the clean 15. So uh, this is put out by the environmental working group. It's a nonpartisan group that examines, um, I think like a hundred different types of produce every year and ranks them in order of which tend to have the highest pesticides versus the least. So anything on the dirty dozen is high in pesticides. So those I would try to always buy organic, ideally. The ones on the clean 15 list tend to have low pesticides anyway. So if you can't find them or your budget doesn't allow, these are totally great choices to even buy conventional. Uh, so that's number one. Number two would be to buy frozen. Frozen fruits and vegetables are typically just as nutritious as if not more nutritious than the fresh stuff because they are picked at their peak ripeness, which is also their peak nutrition. Then they're flash frozen, which locks in a lot of that nutrition. And uh, you, when we compare that to like the fresh stuff, let's say that's at your grocery store, that's probably picked when it's underripe so that it can go through weeks of transport and storage. Uh, and so once a fruit or vegetable is picked, its nutrition actually starts to decline. <laughs> so uh, typically, so uh, you may actually find that the frozen organic blueberries, uh, which are probably 30% cheaper than the fresh ones, may even be more nutritious. So frozen food is a good choice. Uh, and then if you have a local farmer's market, I would definitely go check that out. Sometimes you'll find farmers that are not necessarily certified organic because organic certification is very expensive, yet they grow their fruits and vegetables to organic standards. So that could be um, a good choice. So I, I think there, there's ways around everything. Um, you know, if, if there's a will, there's a way. So <laughs> if you want to consume more organic, no matter what your constraints are, you can figure out some solutions that work. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's the ways around it. Um, okay, so if uh, let's talk about the food that you definitely are does are no no. You should never have them. Not good for you. What are they? 
Well, okay. I'll preface this by saying that, you know, in the beginning, I had very strict uh, sort of rules with myself, what I could eat and what I could not eat. Whereas now that my gut is healed and I'm, you know, overall eating a really healthy diet, I'm definitely a bit more lenient. Like I'll eat French fries every once in a while. And French fries are definitely not healthy for you in any shape or form, but they're really tasty. Right. Um, So, so I'll, I'll say that these foods are not healthy, but if you eat them, it doesn't make you a bad person. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, You know, it just, it is what it is. There are some truths that we have to, uh, you know, acknowledge and that there are certain foods that are healthy for us uh, that, you know, are anti-inflammatory, give us nutrients and help us thrive. And there's other foods that are nutrient deficient that promote inflammation. And ultimately when we consume them regularly are going to zap our energy, zap our health, hurt our gut, hurt our hormones, hurt our skin. So with that said, um, sugar and refined carbohydrates are definitely number one. There's quite a bit of research on the negative impact of sugar, refined sugar on our health and definitely our skin. So in fact, uh, sugar, like a high glycemic diet, uh, is one of the most well-established acne triggers. And in fact, even the American Academy of Dermatology acknowledges a high glycemic diet has been linked to increased incidence of acne. And when you start to consume a more low glycemic diet, where in one in which you keep your blood sugar stable. So this would be made up of whole fruits and vegetables, whole grains, um, you know, any sort of whole foods and getting rid of that processed refined stuff that spikes our blood sugar, uh, that actually leads to a reduction in acne. So if you want clear skin, if you want more energy, if you want a better mood, if you want a better mental function, definitely reducing or eliminating refined sugar and refined carbohydrates is number one. And I'll also just throw out, this doesn't mean the sugar and fruit is bad. This doesn't mean like you shouldn't eat sweet potatoes or anything like that. I'm talking about refined sugar. I'm not talking about, um, you know, natural whole foods. That's number one. Uh, number two, if we're talking about skin, the second really big one that there is a lot, a lot of data, and I'm talking huge studies with thousands of people, um, tens of thousands of people even, uh, that suggests that dairy is a acne trigger. So if you are struggling with acne or any sort of inflammatory skin condition and you consume dairy, I can almost guarantee you that if you remove the dairy, your skin will probably improve. Uh, you know, there may be other factors that you need to work on as well, uh, but that that is likely a, a key factor. So I would say those are kind of the, the two big ones. And actually the third big one would be vegetable oils. So refined vegetable oils like corn, soy, canola oil, these are high in omega-6 fatty acids, very low in omega-3. And um, these oils have been found to promote inflammation. And of course, inflammation is the, uh, the cause or the spark of acne. So we want to reduce those kinds of oils. Now, again, you're never going to be able to eliminate them completely unless you decide to just eat home at, you know, for the rest of your life, which most people are not going to do. I don't do that. So I know when I go out to a restaurant, I do try to choose restaurants like Mediterranean restaurants where they'll use olive oil, which is a healthier oil. Um, 
I, I try to go to those, you know, as, as often as possible, but I don't, you know, it's not all the time. And I just know like, okay, I'm going out to, you know, dinner once or twice a week at a place that I'm going to have vegetable oils. It's not a big deal. I don't even think about it as long as at home, I'm only using healthy oils. So I don't have any vegetable oils at home. I only have the olive oil um, and some unrefined avocado oil. Sometimes I use unrefined coconut oil and that's it. Uh, so yeah, I would say if in terms of foods to avoid, those would be the top three. Okay, brilliant. And the ones to definitely have in your cabinet, I think you're going to say turmeric. <laughs> Turmeric's a favorite. Favorites, uh, dark leafy greens. I love dark leafy greens like arugula, chard, uh, kale. Uh, there, there's so many different ones and greens are nature's multivitamin. They're rich in abundance of nutrients. They're a good source of fiber. Um, they have chlorophyll, right? There's so much goodness in greens. Uh, so I definitely would say adding greens and, and rotate them. So you don't have to eat the same thing every, every day or every week, rotate them. There's so much variety. Uh, secondly, orange foods like sweet potatoes, carrots, uh, different types of winter squashes. Orange foods are going to be a source of beta carotene, which is the precursor to vitamin A. And vitamin A is a very common deficiency amongst people with acne. Uh, so when I had really bad acne, I got into this habit of drinking carrot juice um, and eating more carrots and, and sweet potatoes. Um, and I think it really helped me personally. So I always encourage people to include more orange foods. So green foods, orange foods. I mean, of course you want to eat the whole rainbow, but I feel like sometimes having those specific colors to, to focus on helps. And uh, any foods with omega-3. I think on a whole, a lot of people are deficient in omega-3 because the two primary food groups that contain omega-3 uh, would be certain types of fatty fish, like wild salmon, for example, anchovies, um, that kind of stuff. And then um, seeds like flaxseed, chia seed, etc. And so a lot of people don't eat fish. Uh, and a lot of people don't eat seeds on a regular basis. So if you're not really eating these, um, you know, it's it's possible to be omega three deficient. And so um, making sure that you're conscious about including like if you're on a vegan diet, making sure you're having a variety of chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, um, all these omega three rich foods, maybe you want to even supplement as well. It's really, really super duper important. Absolutely. I um, in fact, I love how Dr. Furman talks about G bombs. And even when he talks about the the seeds and nuts, it's like, I put nuts in there because I think they're healthy, but it's mostly seeds. And it is because they do kind of unlock a lot more nutri nutrients when it, talks to, when it comes to essential fatty acid than uh, even the nuts. Although, you know, things like walnuts, of course, are brilliant. But um, uh, you're right. People don't tend to eat as many seeds as we, we should implement in easily, you know, in our breakfast or smoothies even. Um, because I, I guess they don't have that... Um, taste and crunch as um, nuts would, would do, right? So people tend to navigate towards nuts a lot more. But uh, obviously, they are much more superior in nutrition and also better controlling calories because with nuts, you can easily finish a bag of, of cashews or any, any nuts. They're so good and uh, crunchy. Um, so yeah, it's a little more dangerous. Um, what about uh, things like uh, nut butters? A lot, so there's this concept that, well, if I have fatty uh, foods, would my skin get worse? So 
obviously if you are now okay i'm not gonna have vegetable oils but i'm gonna have my nut butters how do you feel about nut butters like peanut butter or cashew almond butter i think nuts and nut butters are totally fine because the issue is not necessarily fat uh, the issue with vegetable oils is a specific type of fat, which is those, um, those omega-6 fats. Uh, and nuts do contain omega-6 fats as well, but they also contain fiber. They can contain other nutrients, right? So it's, it's different than an oil because the oil, basically you're only getting the fat, whereas a whole food, you're getting so much more than that, right? And, and it's different when you digest that, it, they both cause different um, uh, a different chain of events in your body afterwards. So I think nuts and nut butters are totally fine. I think with anything, you don't want to overdo it, but that's not like if someone has skin problems, like that, that wouldn't be something that would re raise a red flag for me initially. I think there'd be other things that would be uh, have more red flags, you know, before I, we tried to tweak and see, okay, if, is this an issue? I mean, of course, food intolerances are um, also contribute to any sort of inflammatory skin condition like acne. And you can have a food intolerance to just about anything. And so, yeah, there's common food intolerances like dairy and gluten, but then, you know, some people may have an intolerance to avocado or, to, you know, to these random foods that you're just like, how can anyone have an intolerance? But they can. And so if you do have an intolerance, uh, you'll want to remove that food for a period of time while you work on healing and repairing your gut. And once your gut's in a good place, very likely you'll be able to add that food back in and not have any issues with it. So, um, so yeah, so you, you want to also look for food intolerances that can be kind of like a sneaky, uh, potential cause of acne or inflammatory skin issues. Makes sense. Uh, delayed food allergies. Um, yeah, people don't think about it. It's true. What about, um, okay, what, what do you see uh, now that you moved to Dubai um, and you left uh, New York? Um, do you see a difference in, uh, because of the food being, in, being different? Do you see a difference in people, um, people's skin? You know, do you feel like uh, in Europe and Middle East, do you have better skin than in the US? What, what was your, um, what did you notice? Well, I think just like in America, uh, here, a lot of people have acne and have skin issues because here, especially people love to eat out. So, I mean, some people eat out, even they do this in New York, they eat out every night or at least most nights of the week. So you're definitely getting a heavy dose of uh, vegetable oils. And um, we don't always know what's in our food when we're eating at a restaurant. A lot of times they'll add ingredients that we have no idea, like sugars or wheat or, or whatever it may be to make that food taste really, really good. Um, but we don't have control over those ingredients. So I think, yeah, equally, I've actually been doing some research on this to try and see the global acne rates and acne is on the rise globally. Uh, interestingly, in my research prior to the 1950s, there were a number of places where acne was actually non-existent. So for example, in Canada, amongst the Inuit Eskimos, in 1946, there was a there was a health survey and um, acne was was basically non-existent. And then fast forward a few years later, because of what was going on in the time after the Cold War, that area that they lived in became a strategic 
region for for the government. Um, And the Inuits were basically forced to assimilate into Western culture and move into Western camps, eat Western food. And in a very short period of time, their chronic health Uh, issues all skyrocketed, including acne, including cavities, heart disease, diabetes, all these things skyrocketed because they were no longer eating their normal traditional diet, which included, um, you know, berries and greens and things they were foraging and and wild game and and, um, wild seafood now and seaweed, you know, now they were eating sugar, basically sugar and refined carbohydrates. And as a result, their acne rates increased. We also saw this in Japan. We've seen this um, in in Paraguay, like we've seen this all over the world that when, uh, you know, cultures that are eating a nutrient dense whole food uh, diet, generally, their incidence of acne is low or, or zero, like, as in nobody gets acne, not teenagers, not adults, nobody. Uh, And then when they're introduced into Western culture and they assimilate into Western culture and Western eating habits, their rate of acne basically matches that of America, which is, by the way, 85 to 90% of teenagers get acne and 40 to 50% of adults struggle with acne. And as an adult, you can have acne for decades. Um, And even as a teen, the the average time that that a teen has acne is five to 10 years which is not a short time. No, and I'm, uh, that was, uh, this actually segues my next question. So um, for teenagers, because I guess a lot of the, I don't know if this is true, correct me, but um, the clients that come to you might be early 20s upwards because now they're obviously financially independent also and they can pay for uh, their, their choice of care. And sometimes parents don't necessarily know how to you know, deal with um, a teenage ac- acne or the, they think, well, it's normal because they're teenagers and their hormones are just changing. Um, this is even more so for uh, teenage boys. But I, I've noticed that it's happening more and more from 12 years old now instead of, uh, you know, 16, uh, 15, 16. So obviously as their puberty age decreases or becomes a little bit earlier, they seem to have skin issues a little bit earlier. But... Um, do you, I, I believe, and this is the case, I think probably you will too, but I believe that if they were approaching this just like your older clients that are coming to you directly would do, we probably would see a massive improvement, which I think was also would help the teenagers balance their hormones easier, easier so that they sometimes don't act out because of, you know, what's happening in their body. Um, well, yeah, what's your thought about that? Yeah, well, first off, the the crazy thing is that the age of the start of acne is getting younger and younger. So you mentioned 12, it could be nine, it could be seven years old, there's cases of of children having having acne these days. And it is also, um, you know, in in, um, line with the fact that the age of uh, puberty is also getting younger and younger. And so, yes, acne is not a part of human life in the sense that like puberty is a part of human life. Every baby that is born, you know, that makes it to the teenage years, they're going to go through puberty, right? That is a part of life. Death is a part of life, but acne is not a normal part of life in the sense that just because you're born, you have to get acne. So I think that's like, you know, a, a big point to drive home because I think a lot of people think like, Oh, you get acne when you're a teenager. It's just what happens. 
It happens when there's inflammation and imbalance. And most of the the food that a lot of young people are eating, and I know this because, I mean, I used to eat this food as well. uh, It's a lot of packaged processed foods. It's a lot of sugar. um, It's a lot of refined carbohydrates. And so it's not really surprising then that, um, you know, they're, they're experiencing these issues at such a high rate because they're basically consuming, you know, the foods that, that create that perfect storm to, to create acne inside. So of course, during puberty, hormones are going to um, fluctuate and change, but that doesn't mean that you have to have acne. And it's the same thing with women around their period, right? When during our cycle, our hormones fluctuate and many women tend to break out right before their period as a result of those fluctuations, but you don't have to break out just because of those fluctuations, right? If you can bring your, your body into balance, your gut and your hormones into balance, even though your hormones will be fluctuating as a result of, you know, or because of your menstrual period, it doesn't mean that you're going to break out. So I would say, yeah, even teens, um, teens that are struggling with acne, focusing on more anti-inflammatory foods, reducing those refined carbohydrates, making sure you're getting enough nutrients. There's definitely nutrient deficiencies, especially if you have a picky eater, um, that could be more common. Um, I, I would say it's anytime you have acne, you, you have to look within it's not acne is not a topical issue. It is an internal one. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I mean, not that acne is beautiful, but beautifully said, <laughs> um, you know, it is right. Like it's from within. Do you feel, um, well, do, do you, what are the practices do you feel are really helpful um, to connect to now we have nutrition down and uh, you mentioned stress management. Um, what other practices you feel like people really benefit from when they start this journey? Uh, and, uh, you know, connecting to the fact that you said it's from within, there might be triggers that perhaps are not food related. What, what, mm-hmm. are, what is your approach with those? Yeah, food is really, really, really important and makes a big impact, but it's not the only thing. And I think it's easy for us to kind of grasp and change. Um, Working on reducing our stress or dealing with old trauma is a much bigger task than adding turmeric to your, your dinner. So in terms of the other stuff beyond food, definitely stress management you know, and that can take many different forms, uh, whether that's meditation, yoga, breath work, uh, we're all different. So what works for us is going to be different, but you definitely need to add some sort of practice that's going to bring your stress level down a notch because your body can't heal if it's in a constant state of fight or flight. And if you're constantly stressed, and I know this because I used to be one of these people, Sometimes, especially again, in big cities, we feel like we can handle the stress. Like, even though we're really stressed, we're like, okay, well, you know, I'm still, I'm handling it. It's okay. I like it. You kind of thrive on it in a way uh, up until a point, but what's going on underneath the surface is that our hormones are in disarray. Our cortisol levels are high. And when that's happening, it just sets off this chain of events that you're not going to be happy about, right? Like, for example, causing your skin to produce more oil, which is then going to clog your pores and increase your chance of getting acne. Um, You know, it's eventually going to zap your energy and you're going to need to rely on caffeine or other outside sources just to get through the day. Uh, It can cause weight gain. It can cause so, so metabolic disorders, right? So there's so many issues with having this chronic stress so that is something that we need to get under control. And I like these outside things like meditation, yoga to lower stress. But what I also tell people is 
we need to change our mindset and our perspective on stress. Like what do we let stress us out? Because sometimes we get to a point where everything stresses us. Um, and that comes down to like how we're viewing the world. And I think, uh, there's a book called loving what is by Byron Katie. I don't know if you've read this book, but it's uh, it's an amazing book and it helps you just reframe the way that you look at stressors in your life. And she talks about how there's no such thing as a life without stressors, things that cause stress, whether it's bills, bosses, you know, babies, all these stressors, right? But what is different is how we react to those stressors. You know, do we let something like if we use an example of two people have a new sports car um, and they both get it like a dent or a scratch on it. One person is going to go ballistic. You know, you can see their blood pressure rising, (laughs) their skin getting red, screaming, yelling, like really upset. And the other person, the same thing happens, the same stressor, but they're just like, oh, whatever. It's a car. I'll get it fixed. You know, so that's just the event is the same, but it's the reaction that's different. And it's the reaction that's going to determine your particular stress level. So learning to uh, master your mind and not let your mind, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, your mind stress you out more, more than it needs to, or we all do this at some point, but like really learning to master your thoughts and understand that you're in control and you're in control of your reaction. I think that's really for me personally, that has been the most pivotal thing in reducing my stress because now my stress load is is a lot lower to begin with. Amazing. I think we're going to have to put this book into the show notes if you don't mind send me, sending me the yes. title. Um, yes. Okay, we're going to do uh, one last, we're going to end with uh, a myth-busting about skincare, I think. Um, you mentioned at the beginning you like things like jojoba oil, um, and I love to, by the way, I, I I really, well, I make my own skincare at that, I'm at that point, but I love oils. And I remember uh, previously people saying, yeah, but if you have oily skin, that oil can make your skin worse. What's your take on that? I think that's a big misconception. Um, well, two things. First, oily skin is a state. It's not a type of skin. So even if your skin is producing a lot of oil now, that's not like you, that's probably just what you're eating and doing that's causing that excess sebum, right? We talked about so many different Mm -hmm. things that can cause excess sebum. Um, So that's number one. And then number two, certain oils may clog your pores, but other oils won't. So jojoba oil has a chemical makeup very similar to sebum, and it's actually very gentle on our skin and soothing, and it won't clog pores. So it's non-comedogenic. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I have in the past an oil cleansing and things like that, um, which I think is fine, but I personally, the way I like to use oil now is as a moisturizer at night, I like to put it on. Um, and I find that it's really, um, just soothing to my skin. I also use it as a makeup remover. There are certain oils like borage oil, um, which is really high in gamma linoleic acid, which has been found to help be helpful for the skin barrier, restoring skin barrier. Um, so yeah, that's the, the idea that oils are not good for oily skin is, is a myth. Yeah, I, I thought so. I, I'm glad I, we didn't rehearse that before. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going on a limb here, but I'm happy you got the same memo. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, you're right. It's not, we are, we're giving types, you know, to people like your skin is, um, is, um, oily, your skin is dry, actually your skin is reflecting something else. 
it's a it's a state of the moment right exactly exactly perfect oh my gosh well I I mean we could talk about skin forever there's so many things and I know we only have an hour but I really appreciate the time you took for me um I'm really happy that we got to share this and um I will put all your details in the show notes but before we go, what's next for Maria or for Glow by Marlo? What what do you have in store? I mean, you have amazing programs on there. Anything new coming up? Yes. So, well, right now I have something called the Clear Skin Plan, which walks you through that whole protocol that I mentioned earlier. So you can figure out your root causes and then remedy it with food and lifestyle changes. So that has been amazing. I've had thousands of people do it. Like the before and afters are insane. People who thought they would never clear their skin, their skin is clear. Um, And so it's amazing PDF. I actually have it here. It's like thick. There's hundreds of like over a hundred recipes. So I'm turning that into an app. So that I'm really excited about. So that's coming out in September, um, but the clear skin plan's still around. Um, and yeah, and, and lots of fun, fun things in the pipeline, but the, the app is, is probably the biggest one right now. That's fantastic. And I only, only learned today that you have a podcast as well. So I'm going to have to start listening. I'm so happy that um, I, I found it and I, I saw that you were interviewing Dr. B. Um, so that's yes. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you so, so much, Maria. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm really, I'm, I love your journey. I always follow you and see what you're up to. And um, I'm very inspired by the things that you share. And, um, you know, I, I think you just live and uh, the life that you, that you preach. And that's the most important thing. That's authenticity that I really look for when I, when I work with anybody and when I even interview uh, my speakers because I, I try to really take from what you're teaching and apply it and I find it so beautiful to have that you know motivation so thanks so much thank you thank you so much (laughs) bye thank you everyone for staying for this episode I hope you got so much out of it just like I did I find it so inspiring to learn how to look after our skin in a natural way but mostly from within so I'm really excited that we did this and if you like the episode as always please do rate it share it like it make sure that you give us a boost to our community so i'll see you next time bye